I show up on campus on our first week of orientation and they put a girl on stage and they cut her ponytail off and oh. said that they were freeing her from the patriarchy. Like that was my first experience in college where I was like, where the hell am I? A girl from a small town, Massachusetts, wow. like never being part of that world at all, like never living away from home or anything like that, um, to get picked up by a limo Fox News to talk about this craziness on a college campus and then start my first internship in DC in politics it was like completely transformative to me. And it all happened because I was okay with using my voice to talk about the madness on college campuses. College campuses were lost. In 2016, Whoa. we're fighting for them. They are so lost now that now we have to worry about, you know, indoctrination going on in our kindergartens. Like that is where, that is how far the line has moved. Uh, and it's because conservatives don't have the backbone to do anything about it. These students were having their doors banged down, being told that they were racist for not showing up at a conference, right? Mm. By, by not engaging in something they were considered racist, not by doing something that was racist, right. by not doing something that proved they weren't racist. So it's like not even about what you do anymore. It's about what you don't do. You have to do the things that the social justice people want you to do. I don't think you can be a conservative and not be aligned with the Republican Party. Mm. I understand the Republican Party has issues, but if you are a conservative, then you want conservatism to be spread and you want conservatism to prevail. And if you are not supporting the only party that overlaps with you on those issues, then you're just a losing conservative. But there are polls about um, from conservatives on campus talking about how they feel attacked for their conservative views. Mm -hmm. Those do exist um, and they're out there. And it's most college students feel like they can't express their political views on campus. Mm -hmm. That's a fact, that's well documented. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Connection. I apologize for the quick hiatus, but everyone needs a summertime break. So I retreated to the hills of Pennsylvania to unplug and spend some much needed time with family. My next guest is one of the sharpest, wittiest and unoffendable young ladies I've met yet. And there's not many of those around anymore. Cassie Dillon is the U.S. Bureau News Editor of JNS, Jewish News Syndicate. She has a BA in International Relations and Middle Eastern Studies from Mount Holyoke College and a Master's of Public Policy specializing in international relations and American politics from Pepperdine University School of Public Policy. Her work has appeared in The Wall Street Journal, The Hill, The Daily Wire, and The Washington Examiner. She also started the media site, The Lone Conservative, to support conservative university students who seem to be shunned and silenced these days. Cassie and I discuss how she began to identify with the conservative movement and the event that got her thrown into politics. We also chat about her favorite politician right now and the 2024 ticket. Agree with her or not, this young lady knows what she believes and why she believes it and isn't backing down anytime soon, which is why I love her. Enjoy this interview with Cassie Dillon. I am in my home. <laughs> yeah. yeah but no, are you in California still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started school today, so we're back. Oh, yeah. You still have one year. You were a first year now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, my first class. It's a fun year now. Yeah, it, I can already tell. Like, um, did you do? I thought maybe you would have done this course called Writing for a Wide Audience mm -mm. with Tunku. Um, he actually spoke at the free speech conference. I don't know if you remember him. But he's a, he writes for the Wall Street Journal. So I had my first class with him. And one of the first things he said is, this is not a safe space. Uh, we are an academic in an academic setting with the goal of pursuing intellectual growth. And uh, we are all adults here. So <laughs> That's funny. Oh, good. I keep saying I had the like econ for dummies, you know. Yeah, I got, like a, I got like a B in micro and I've never gotten a B in my life. So. Yeah. 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 Not, I did not enjoy it. Wait that. a second. Well, this is a good place to start. You, in undergrad, you never, you got straight A's. You were a 4.0 student. Okay. I had a B in <laughs> hip hop dance. Oh, the one thing I would have aced. <laughs> yep. But it wasn't fair. We had, we had like, I it was not fair. I should class. not have gotten a B. We had 60 people in our class. And I don't even know how we were evaluated. Like there were no <laughs> tests, but I just, I got a B in this hip hop class and I took it for fun. And I was really mad. It brought down my GPA. I also got a B plus in, um, in, in economics and undergrad too, as well. But that was also a class of like a hundred people. So in, in my undergrad, we're not used to having classes that 
big. So it was hard for me. Um, but no, other than that, pretty much straight A's. I can't believe you took a hip. <laughs> I may have yeah. gotten, I, I did ice skating. Well, I played tennis. So that fulfilled my, most of my phys ed or whatever they called them back then requirements. Um, but I did take ice skating. I'm pretty sure. I can't believe they graded you in the pop yeah, class. I gotta be, we had a, a final where we had to dance with two other people they randomly assigned to you. Uh, and I had two students who were not from the, from America and who had never listened to hip hop before. Um, and we did our final song dance to, um, we had to pick it out ourselves. We did the song. It's tricky. It's tricky to rock That is my error girl. Yeah. That's what we danced. So yeah, I still remember the whole dance. I definitely have a video of it somewhere. I would love you to perform that at the end of this interview. <laughs> and I gotta be so not happy about that. I'll, I'll evaluate. I'll be, I'll be the, the arbiter there. Um, so tell me about your undergrad. Where did you go to school and, um, you know, how, how did you end up starting this thing called the lone conservative? It's a long, long saga. Well, (laughs) I grew up in Western Massachusetts, which is, you know, it's the Western side of Massachusetts where there's not much there. Like I live in Boston now, people from Boston are like, there's nothing there besides farms and like one college. Like they look at Western Mass and it's not even a place to them. It's like the boonies, like it's nothing. Um, But I grew up there and there are quite a few things there. Uh, It's where the Basketball Hall of Fame is, which is kind of cool. Dr. Seuss is from Springfield, um, the area I grew up. And then we have a few universities there. They call it the five colleges. And so the first one is UMass Amherst. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest schools in America, has like 40,000 students. It's like Mm -hmm. huge. Uh, and then there's four other ones. And the other ones are Amherst College, which is like one of the top schools in the country. Uh, then there's Smith College, an all-women's college, and Mount Holyoke, which is also an all-women's college, mm-hmm. the one I went to. And then there's a college called Hampshire College, which is like not even planet Earth. It's like a, it's its, its <laughs> own thing. They don't have grades. The people there are strange. Like it looks like a bomb shelter. It's like its own, <laughs> it's, it's its own thing. Um, but I went to Mount Holyoke College. It's one town over from where I grew up. I grew up in a little town called Chicopee and next to it is South Hadley where Mount Holyoke College is. And I was one of the first people in my family to go to college. My mom attended college and she was 35. So it wasn't like, you know, straight, straight out of high school to college. That wasn't her path. So I was the first one like applying to school right after um, high school. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I applied to Mount Holyoke and UMass Amherst and a few others that I got into. And it actually came down to a coin flip about which one I was going to choose. It was either UMass Amherst where I had a full ride or Mount Holyoke where I almost had a full ride. Um, And Mount Holyoke is a lot better of a school, but UMass has a lot more resources and Mm -hmm. it's not all women's. I didn't want the all women's thing. Mm. Um, But then my coin landed on Mount Holyoke, which I was happy about because it has very small class sizes. It's more prestigious um, and it's really beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful campuses in America. I actually like to say Mount Holyoke is the most beautiful campus in America. And number two is Pepperdine. And if you look at the ratings, uh, it checks out. So that's apparently how I choose what schools I go to since me and you uh, (laughs) you go to grad school. Exactly. So I ended up in Mount Holyoke and I didn't really know what I was doing or what I was getting myself into. Okay. I didn't know that there was this like political divide in college campuses. I did not know that. I had no idea um, at all. I was just coming from, you know, my little inner city public school and trying to go to college. And I show up on campus on our first week of orientation and they put a girl on stage and they cut her ponytail off and said that they were freeing her from the patriarchy. Like that was my first experience in college where I was like, where the hell am I? That is. And I thought our sorority initiation was rough. Oh, oh, we're one big sorority is what they call us. One big sorority. So we don't have sororities in Mount Holyoke. We actually have houses on campus where certain ethnicities are allowed to live in by themselves. So there's like the black student house, the Hispanic student house, Asian student house, like, and like, that's how they break into their own houses, but we don't have any sororities. Yeah. No, I figured at Mount Holyoke. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a weird place. So after that happened, I was like, uh, what's going on here? This is very strange. And at the time I knew I was conservative somewhat. My grandfather would talk to me about politics. I took AP government. And so I, you know, dabbled in politics with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I really cared about was 
immigration at the time. Uh, that's when a lot of the border stuff was happening with uh, President Obama. So I was, we're talking, this is 2014. Mm-hmm. So I was very new to all of this. Um, and then the story happened where I got into actual politics on campus was there is this girl. She's still one of my best friends. She lives in LA. I actually think you guys need to become best friends. Um, and she posted in our class Facebook group because that's what we were using at the time. There was no TikTok and all of this. It was Facebook. And she just said, hey, uh, I like to take chances. I'm a Republican. Are there any other Republicans here? And at the time, it was our first week. I had a bunch of friends. I was going to frat parties and hanging out with all the girls. And I responded to her and I said, yeah, I'm one. And then after that, which apparently my whole class saw, we were known as the Republican girls. And I lost a lot of friends just from that one post. Mm. It was, uh, it was sad because I remember going out with a lot of these girls. And then after that, they never talked to me again. Um, but I, I made other friends are way better than them. Like people who are actually like more, uh, more similar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, uh, Yvonne is her name. She got really involved with campus journalism. There is a, there's a group called the Leadership Institute. They've been around for a very long time, probably since the seventies or eighties. And they have a wing where they employ young college students to write about liberal bias in their campuses. And so Yvonne was doing this. And this was during the Black Lives Matter protest 1.0, like where this is like during, you know, Ferguson. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they had a protest on our campus and they said that all white people should march in the back. And so Yvonne just wrote what happened. She didn't give her opinion. She just said, this is what happened. They said this, they said this, they said this, and she published it. And she was like immediately vilified, immediately. People hated her. They're calling her a racist and all of this. And she's just like a college freshman playing on the basketball team, like not really knowing what's going on. Now, she did have a political background. She had spent the summer interning in the Senate or something like that. So she like knew more about this world mm-hmm. than I did at the time. Mm-hmm. But after she published that, I remember I, this is where it all sunk in for me. I got lunch with her in our campus center. In our campus center, we have a stage. So it's like, you know, they do open mic night and that kind of stuff. And we were just sitting, getting lunch. And somebody hopped on the stage when there's nothing going on, grabs a microphone and basically said something like, there's a racist in the room. And I'm looking around like, oh my gosh, where's the racist? There's a racist (laughs) in the room. (laughs) And then they point at Yvonne, who is standing right across from me and they call her the racist. And I was like, Oh no, I need to stop being seen with this girl. I know she's not a racist, but uh, she's going to ruin my reputation. I don't want to be around that. So I was a little freaked out to hang out with Yvonne um, because I was like, wow, this girl is controversial. Mm -hmm. And we ended up kind of keeping our, like our our friendship was on the DL, but we didn't hang out often unless there was like something going on. Um, We we did a podcast a few years ago where we admitted to some of the things that we did on campus that people didn't know about, like, I invaded a safe space for her uh, and got and wrote notes and he wrote an article about it. You're not allowed to go into a safe space and say what happens in the safe space, but I did for her. And they were trying to expel her for going into the safe space when in reality it was me and they couldn't prove that she was there because I was the one who was there. And so I gave her all the reporting for it. So there's just funny things like that. The mole. The yeah, mole. it was the mole. Look. I didn't say who said it. I said this happened in it. Like, there's mm-hmm. no reason why that can't be reported. This whole safe spacing is extremely toxic. And back then it was when people were just starting to hear about these things, right? This was just in college campuses. Mm-hmm. Now this is like in like corporate America, like your boardroom needs a safe space somewhere. Like that wasn't a thing back then. It was just in college campuses. And, and people like me and Yvonne were saying at the time that if you don't stop this, it's going to escape and it's going to go everywhere. Uh, and it did. And we were trying to, you know, raise the alarm that early and people were doing this before we were in college too. Uh, But we really saw the transformation because I was on campus during the 2016 election and Mm -hmm. that was like transformative. (laughs) There was a lot of stuff that happened around that. But that's basically the story about how I was first introduced on campus. Now, how I got actually involved, I ended up taking over Yvonne's role on campus as the campus enemy number one was she uh, left Mount Holyoke after her first year. She um, was she ran for state legislator in New Hampshire and won. She was one of the youngest state reps in the country. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So she she won and she was like, bye Mount Holyoke. And she still doesn't have a college degree. 
And she's she's doing amazing in politics. Like she's consulting for like very high level people. Um, and she never finished college. She didn't need it. She saw there was no point of it. She didn't want to be indoctrinated. She got into local government instead. Um, and she's still kicking butt now. So amazing. So, yeah. So she left and things got quiet for a little bit. You know, this is a 2014, the fall of 2014, spring of 2015, still quiet. Uh, fall of 2015, still quiet. And then I go away and I work on Carly Fiorina's presidential campaign um, in the fall of 2015 into the winter um, with Yvonne in New Hampshire. And then I, you know, I kind of got a backbone at this point. I was working for the governor as well, the governor of Massachusetts, interning for him. And so I got a backbone and I started writing for campus reform. And my very first piece uh, related to my college, I had done some about other colleges but the very first piece related to the five college consortium went completely viral. Um, and it was because I got a very famous video of a protester that kind of became the face of the crazy college student. Um, have you heard of Trigglypuff? This is what the internet has called her. Uh, you can look it up. You can see the video. It's very well known back then. It was Tr- one of the Trigglypuff? What is Trigglypuff? like the Pokemon, like Jigglypuff, but Trigglypuff. That's okay. As in, her. as in like trigger, like to yeah. trigger somebody. As in like okay. triggered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the internet named her this, I did not name her this, but my video went up and this is what they came back with. Uh, the story of her was there was a campus event at UMass Amherst. So not my school mm-hmm. and it was during finals and campus reform had asked me to go to this event And it was three famous speakers, which you might have heard of. I had no idea who any of them were at the time. I didn't even want to go to this event. I was like, this is a waste of time. Uh, The speakers were Stephen Crowder, Mm. Christina Hoff Summers, Mm -hmm. and Milo Yiannopoulos. I know who they are now. Like, we've talked about our stories a little bit. We have a similar, I did not know any of this up until 2020. I had no clue what was going on. I was living in an LA bubble. But yeah, I know who they are now. For sure. Yeah. So yeah. They, uh, they had an event. It was called The Triggering uh, at UMass Amherst. And I mm-hmm. walk up and I let the, the college publicans who were hosting know that, you know, I'm here for campus reform. So they gave me a seat in the front. I walk in and there is a student passing out papers saying that the speakers were responsible for the deaths of overweight people. Um, They're saying that fat phobia and all of this stuff. And I was like, what? heck are you talking about? Cause I don't even know who these speakers are. I don't know how like they're killing fat people. Like I, I just didn't understand any of this. So I asked a student if I can interview her about it. Uh, and she asked me which outlet I was with. And I told her it was campus reform. And then she told me that I was responsible for people dying. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to interview her. And I'm, I'm a very <laughs> polite person. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like if you're offended, I'm no, sorry. And I, I went and sat down. I was in the third row on the aisle seat and she was two seats behind me with nobody sitting behind me. So I had a very clear view of this woman. Uh, And if you watch this video online, which I recommend if you want to know what happened at college campuses, uh, I recommend watching this. This I'll put a link to it for sure. This event shows like the absolute craziness of what was going down then. Like it's, and it's entertaining. The whole thing is completely fascinating. Um, it starts off with, you know, the three speakers trying to give their introduction and they can't even get through it because the crowd is going bananas. Like everyone is screaming and shouting them down. And each time Christina comes up and she's so soft-spoken, people are mm-hmm. just screaming at her. And then Steven Crowder comes up and he's screaming over the people screaming at him and the police are doing nothing. Like it's just complete chaos. And I'm just so confused. I'm just like, what is going on? I had my phone and it had like 10% battery. Like my phone's dying. I'm like, I, I told you, I didn't want to be at this place. I think I'm wearing slippers, like I was wearing little <laughs> moccasins. I was like taking a break from doing my finals to go to this stupid event, like not knowing what it was and didn't realize that this event would change my life. Um, and so the woman behind me uh, starts losing her mind. Like, completely losing it she is the video is wild she's flailing her arms she's screaming get your hate speech off of my campus which come to find out she doesn't even go to school there like like you don't even go here (laughs) mean girls you don't even go here uh like completely freaking out and I get it on video and I really didn't think this video was gonna go viral I just kind of sent my editors like what I had I was like I don't have time to write this article for you here's some video like I have finals sorry 
and they see the video and they write up an article about this woman losing her mind. Um, and it goes viral. I mean, the next week I was supposed to start an internship in DC, my first time, like in the city besides like one CPAC trip. Uh, and I got picked up by a limo for Fox news to go on Fox news and talk about it. And then I went to my first day of work. Like it was like a little, a girl from a small town, Massachusetts, like never being part of that world at all. Like never living away from home or anything like that. Um, to get picked up by a limo for Fox news to talk about this craziness on a college campus and then start my first internship in DC in politics was like completely transformative to me. And it all happened because I was okay with using my voice to talk about the madness on college campuses. Wow. It's such a different, you know, I, like I said, I kind of woke up out of this woke slumber in 2020 and I was like, this is what's going on in the world. And it's such a, you know, for most of my listeners, it's not your, your generation removed from me almost completely. So I was in college in the early mid nineties. And I mean, if I had half of the things on video that we did (laughs) that were politically incorrect, I mean, I'd be canceled so fast. It just, it didn't cross our minds. We were just like you, I was just this girl from a small town who wanted to go to the South and get a good education. And, and I got that. And there was none of this political activity. I mean, granted we were a conservative school. I didn't really know the difference between conservative. I think when you grow up in something, you're not aware what you are. You just kind of are listening to your parents. And, um, but my major was politics and then public policy. I don't, but even then, I don't think I was very acutely aware of a dividing line, right. Between conservative, liberal, um, or Republican Democrat, let's say not conservative, liberal Republicans in the, in the categorical sense of like, you are a Republican, you are a Democrat. I knew we were conservative school. Um, and I actually rebelled against that in my later years, which is what drove me out to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, when I heard about what was going on on campuses, I'm like, that is bizarre. Is that really happening? And then of course I started seeing some videos and, and heard the story about um, Brett Weinstein and his yeah. wife. And I was like, that's insane. That is absolutely insane. Like I just, there was a return to logic. I'm like, okay, no matter how you feel about something, you've got to apply some logic here. Like this is just completely illogical. Um, It's all emotional. You you don't really hear about it as much as we were hearing about it in 2016. And that's not because it's not happening. Mm -hmm. It's because people aren't surprised by it anymore. So there's Mm -hmm. no point of writing about it. There's, it's not news. It's the mm. expected. It's the norm. So it's still, it's, I, like I said at the conference, I said college campuses are lost. In 2016, mm. we're fighting for them. They are so lost now that now we have to worry about, you know, indoctrination going on in our kindergartens. Like that is where, that is how far the line has moved. Uh, and it's because conservatives don't have the backbone to do anything about it. You know, conservatives are still going to donate to their alma maters. You're not going to call them out. They're not going to not hire mm. students who engaged in a lot of these crazy activist things on campus. They're not doing that. Uh, They're not fighting back hard enough. So these colleges are lost. And the alternative now seems to be a segregation of conservatives going to conservative schools and liberals Mm -hmm. going to liberal schools. And uh, liberals have more schools. We can't just expect to start our own. That's not going to happen. We do need to fight back for them. And we're not- You don't don't think what the like University of Austin is doing is is a viable model? I mean, the University of Austin is going to have how many students? Tops, like maybe 20 years from now, tops 10,000. Come Mm. on, there's like hundreds of thousands of conservative college students out there who don't have a place to go where they can just be normal students without having this indoctrination. Like, it's not even like what you do on campus. It's what you don't do. It's not just like you're part of the college Republicans. Like at Mount Holyoke, they canceled class for three days and had a conference on social justice. And a lot of people didn't go. I mean, they're college students. They're like, oh, three days, not having to go to class. I'm going to hang out and watch Netflix or I'm going to go on a vacation. Mm -hmm. And these students were having their doors banged down, being told that they were racist for not showing up at a conference, right? By by not engaging in something they were considered racist, not by doing something that was racist, by not doing something that proved they weren't racist. So it's like not even about what you do anymore. It's about what you don't do. You have to do the things that the social justice people want you to do. 
Right. That kind of silence is violence. Yeah, exactly. Attitude. Yeah. If you don't say something, you're not an ally or, and that to me was bizarre too. Again, coming out of this, this kind of progressive fog was like, wait, just because I don't put a black square on my Instagram, I don't support black people. I, that, huh? What? <laughs> like, first of all, Instagram is not my, I mean, I obviously use it as a platform for certain things, but like, this is not, this is not what I identify with. It's so bizarre to me. It's absolutely bizarre. Like, I don't understand what this small virtue signal on social media does to help anybody. Yeah. Nothing. Well, it keeps people comfortable. It gives them a little, I guess, um, I'm, I'm a good person kind of thing. I mean, that's exactly what virtue signaling is, right? You kind of put up a sign to make yourself seem virtuous, but you actually don't actively participate in anything that would help said group of people. Um, my girlfriend and I talked about this in another podcast because she's particularly about celebrities. She's really got to beef with Jessica Chastain. I don't know what it is, but she's got this. She's like, why don't you go to Alabama and help the women's in the women's shelter? They would never do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, and maybe so, maybe they are, but if they do, it's usually a press opportunity. Even so, Mount Holyoke, they were hosting that Black Lives Matter protest that Yvonne went to in South Hadley, Massachusetts, which probably has all of 10 black people. <laughs> Um, it's like the most white, small little town ever. And they are blocking the road and saying these things and, and trying to raise awareness at a town where there's like this police brutality is not happening in South Hadley, Massachusetts. Okay. There's probably like 10 police on the force. That's it. Maybe two are on the job at a time. Like it's a small town. Why don't, why don't you go to Boston? Why don't you go to Springfield? Why don't you yeah. go to these places where there actually are issues? Well, but because it's got to be, it's got to be rooted out in every single person and every single, and you're like, I, I'm just trying to live my, you probably people in your town are just trying to live their lives. Right. They're just yeah. like, everybody's got to be an activist. It's weird. Things got so bad that once the year after I left Mount Holyoke, our college coffee place closed down and the story behind it is a wild story. And this is the story. This is, these are the facts as I know them, right? They might, mm-hmm. Maybe something I'm missing, but the facts as I know them is that we had a coffee shop in our library and it was not owned by the school. It was privately owned, but the space was rented from Mount Holyoke. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the owners of the call of the coffee shop heard the students who work there playing music that had the N-word. And she asked them, can you please not play music that has the N-word? But when she said that, she used the N-word. Mm-hmm. A white woman. I think she's I think she might even be an immigrant, but she's a white woman. And she said the N-word. Should she have said that? No but she did. The students were so offended by her saying, don't play music with the N word and using the N word that she, they reported her to the school and got her pretty much her coffee shop kicked out and they couldn't find anyone else to bring a coffee shop in there. So the students lost their jobs. And then they started complaining about the fact that they lost their jobs. And then they like had a petition or had some pressure on the school to pay them their salaries of the jobs they lost because instead of, and by the way, the woman who owned the coffee shop agreed to do all the trainings, diversity trainings and all that to prevent losing her coffee shop. And they wouldn't let her do that. So they forced her to get fired and they lose her jobs. And then they blame the school force school to pay them for the jobs that they can't just win themselves to lose. like like what? you're never gonna win madness i just read an article on on something did you see this one it reminds me of the coffee shop in philadelphia it was started by like i mean every intersectional adjective you can use i think they were non-binary lesbian i don't know if those two words go together i'm not really sure i was very confused about the, the sexual orientation gender thing um but everything that you could possibly do and they opened this coffee shop in Philadelphia and then the wokest of the woke and then their employees turned against them for something. I mean, it's just like one category eating itself, right? And they just, until the coffee shop had to close down and they they said, well, we had, we, we have to look at our own transgressions. Like they, they made a huge apology. That's the other thing, right? This culture of apologizing for nothing. Um, or forcing and, apologies for nothing. Correct. Correct. Finding finding something wrong and making it to a bigger deal and forcing an apology. Like I actually have another Mount Holyoke example of this that happened okay. two years after I left. They needed to replace our campus police chief, right? Mm-hmm. So they find this guy. He's a really nice guy. He's been on college campuses for decades, like very well qualified. And I believe he moved all the way to Mount Holyoke from like Arizona or some um, somewhere to work at Mount Holyoke. And so he gets appointed police chief. 
And uh, the students decided to go look at his Twitter. No bad tweets at all. But he had liked an NRA tweet and a Donald Trump tweet that said something like Merry Christmas or something like completely <laughs> like not bad at all. But he liked an NRA tweet and a Donald Trump tweet. And they reported him and they had a huge think about it, saying that he was racist. By the way, he's like married to a, a minor person of color and has like children with her. But they were calling him a racist oh and saying God. all this. And he agreed to do the diversity trainings and all that. And then the school was hosting like town halls with him so he could tell the students like, you know, he's so sorry about liking these two tweets, which I don't know why he apologized for it. And uh, he ended up not staying. They forced him out because he liked two tweets. I think that's that's what kills me is these people that are caving and apologizing. Like you said, I don't think it's just, I don't know, Republicans, conservatives, who it is, but when people apologize for nothing, they did wrong. Like I think Joe Rogan did. I'm like, you have gazillion followers. What are you apologizing for? You sure you might lose some of them, but it's like this, this culture of like constantly apologizing. When you apologize, you let them know that what they thought was wrong was wrong. Right. So only apologize for things that you genuinely feel bad about. Correct. Not that you feel bad that you hurt someone's feelings. Right. Something that you feel bad about that you said. It needs to be more self-centered. It needs to be, I feel bad that I said this. Not that I feel bad that I said something I believe and it hurt your feelings. Because mm-hmm. the second you do that, then you you justify the way they feel. Yeah. I mean, I always believe in like, I, I'm sorry you feel this way. You know, I'm sorry those words made you feel this way, but I'm not taking responsibility for your feelings, but I, I can have, still have compassion for the way you feel. You know, And that's I mean? not the way people say it though, right? It's I know. like, oh, I'm- It's an apology. Yeah, exactly. It's a straight up apology when you shouldn't be apologizing for it because you just embolden them even more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so question, I, I, I often think about this because I feel like the- the categorical definitions are confusing, right? Am I a Republican? I don't necessarily identify as a Republican, but I would definitely say my philosophy overall as I've gotten older has become more conservative, mm-hmm. right? So do you think being conservative automatically aligns you with the Republican party or is that kind of an outdated model, especially today? Like, can you be a conservative and not be a member of a particular party? I mean, I know we know from our studies that there's a reason that there's only two parties, you have too many factions, It's it's a mess. You can't do that. But like, I don't know in this day and age, how do you see that those categories evolving or working together? I don't believe that you, you can be an independent and vote Republican, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't see, I don't think you can be a conservative and not be aligned with the Republican party. Mm. I understand the Republican party has issues, but if you are a conservative, then you want conservatism to be spread and you want conservatism to prevail. And if you are not supporting the only party that overlaps with you on those issues, then you're just a losing conservative. You'd be a conservative, but you're a loser. You're not trying to advance your values. So yeah, I'm sure it definitely exists, but if you actually want to make a difference, you're going to have to align with the Mm. party and you're going to have to try to force the party more to the right, which is something that's happened a lot in the past 20 years. Um, Yes, Donald Trump brought in some progressive causes, but in the case of abortion, if you look in the past 30 years, I mean, the Republican Party wasn't really outspoken on it. It was from the grassroots that people were putting pro-life people into the Republican Party, into the conservative movement, and not letting in people who are pro-choice that now we have pretty much the whole party unified on this issue, Mm -hmm. the majority of it at least. So it's different aspects like that where we become more right-wing but then obviously there's steps back in the other direction where um, we get a little bit more liberal which we did in the trump years and now there's a whole movement with the national conservatives to definitely become more socially um conservative so there's constantly like this push and pull but it's nothing new this has always been the case there's always been more years of of more right-wing or more left-wing um but it's always been a push and pull for sure yeah. I mean, do, I, do you think that there's a lot of the, what they call rhinos, you know, Republican in name only, basically they're promoting more progressive agendas with inside the Republican party? Or do you think because the progressive side has gotten so progressive that that's what you're saying, that that's what's happening now is it's kind of a rally against that. 
I think there are rhinos, but I think a lot of people who are labeled rhinos nowadays are the same exact people who went in to replace the rhinos. I mean, look at the Freedom Party people. Look at the Nikki Haley's, the Marco Rubio's, that crowd. They came in as more conservative and pushed out people who were not as conservative in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And now there are people more conservative than them calling them rhinos. Mm -hmm. So there's constantly this push and pull. I think what Mm -hmm. happens is when you are in government for a long time, you have things on your agenda. So you're trying to make compromises with whoever you can. And Mm -hmm. it dilutes some of your beliefs because you realize you can't just be an ideologue and get things done. You have to be uh, flexible. Um, so I think a lot of them get a lot of flack for that, um, even though it's not necessarily that they're a rhino, uh, it's that they are now in government and they're trying to make things happen. Now, this is not a defense of them, right? Like I like to beat up a Mitt Romney all the time. I think Marco Rubio is deserves some, some pushback too. I won't say anything about Nikki Haley, um, but obviously I, I adore her, um, but there's constant there's a constant push with these things. Well, and I think that's people's refusal to understand the reality of politics. It's all good and well to say, this is what I believe in. And like you said, become this ideologue. The fact of the matter is when you get into politics and you need to get shit done, you have to make compromises. It doesn't mean you change your beliefs, but that was what the system was for. And, you know, it's this people's refusal to understand what politics is about. And, and I mean, even look at AOC, right? AOC came in as the ideologue of ideologues. She came Mm. in as like, I am so principled. And she got smacked by the hammer really quick by the Nancy Pelosi's of the world telling her like, no, that's not how this place works. And now we don't hear about AOC as much. Mm. I mean, when she first got in, there was a headline about her every day. When's Mm. the last time you saw an AOC headline? I work in Jewish media and I barely see anything about her anymore. So, you know, once you're in for a while, you kind of understand that being this, you know, stirring the pot is not always the best solution. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about it, but she'll, I'm sure she'll do something stupid in the next. Oh, she will. She will, but it's not going to be every day anymore. Right. She she will do something stupid. Like pretend that she's getting arrested. I think that's the last time I saw it. Um, (laughs) But no, I don't, I I don't think she's as much of a rabble rouser as she was when she first got in. Yeah. So take us through the evolution of, so tell people what lone conservative is because I I'm sure that a lot of people don't know. Sure. So right after I got to DC um, for that internship, Mm -hmm. Uh, I really wanted to write some op-eds about what was going on on campus, right? I was only reporting at the time, but who wants an op-ed from a, you know, 19-year-old college student? Nobody. I mean, at least that's what I thought, that I was having a lot of doors closed to me, and I wanted to talk about these things in a more editorial way rather than news. So I just created my own. I I started having a little bit of a Twitter following at the time um, because some of the speakers were sharing the content that came out of the of the um, the event in my Fox News interview, and so I made my own. So I just tweeted out like, "Hey, who wants to help me out with this?" And I found this group of people, and we started it um, in May of 2016, and we called it the Lone Conservative because I actually meant it. Like I was the Lone Conservative. We had a, we had a few others who were like either pro-life or kind of libertarian, but I was like the conservative. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really did feel alone. So I started this organization to, initially we were just trying to put out articles, but it became something completely different. Still around, still exists. We still have more than a hundred contributors. And basically we teach college students how to write. Um, We give them a lot of uh, training on how to go on camera, how to write an op-ed. We have Bible study, book clubs, like all of these different things where it really has become a community for college students who maybe don't have a college Republican chapter on their campus Hmm. or don't have turning point chapter who who really do feel alone on their campuses. And they come in and write for Lone Conservative. And we've had over 500 students come through us since 2016. And it's so, I feel like an old lady now, but these people have gone in all over the place in politics. And now I have like a network, a massive web of lone conservative alumni. Like we had people in the White House. We just had somebody start at Ted Cruz's office last week. We have people at Fox News, National Review, The Hill, like everywhere. And they all came from lone conservative because getting into politics is very difficult if you don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. That's the whole way it goes. They don't care what school you went to. That's mm-hmm. not how the conservative movement works at all. They want to know that you first know what's going on. Like, you know, the organizations you've been connected with some of them, you know, the right people and that you're normal and lone conservative vets people. We give them writing experiences. We show them what internships to go to, what conferences to go to. um, And we push them out. So we've been very successful with it. We just appointed a new president. Uh, I always want to keep it student run. So I'm the founder. I'm on the board, but 
I have a student who's always the face of it. And they're still pumping around these articles. Uh, we've been going strong for a long time. And I highly recommend checking us out. It's loanconservative.com. Uh, these kids are going strong. I like to call it the national review for college students. It's just lots of uh, commentary and what's going on at campus. And then, you know, the young person's perspective of what's going on in the world with other issues too. So that's, I'm curious about the general percentage, because it seems, especially in your generation, the whole world is woke, right? Like I, I've found a few of you, even at, even in Pepperdine, you know what I mean? As far as the undergrad is concerned and even some of the graduate programs, but um, what is your perspective on like, how strong is the conservative movement within your generation? Is it stronger than most people think, or is it a big fight? Well, first, undergrad at Pepperdine is a lost cause. Like maybe maybe they'll fight back, but undergrad at Pepperdine is not great at all. Uh, we had a lot of issues there when I was in Pepperdine with the undergrads. Uh, mm-hmm. The grad schools are great. Obviously, they're kind of split. Like I'd say they're 50-50 when I was there, probably now 40-60 with conservatives mm-hmm. on the up trend, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was there, it was like 50-50. And we have uh, polls showing who everyone voted for. So mm-hmm. it was pretty. it was a pretty interesting uh, breakdown. Uh, when it comes to general campuses, most students start off college pretty liberal mm-hmm. um, and they graduate liberal and only until they get a real job, do they become more conservative or that has been the norm. But that's changing now because they're getting the same indoctrination in the workplace. So mm-hmm. I don't I, mm-hmm. I don't see it as there's a bunch of conservatives on campus who um, will remain conservative. I don't see it that way. Um, mm-hmm. There definitely there definitely are some, but the majority of students are by far very liberal. They're extremely liberal. I don't think we have many, many polls about this to like give you an exact percentage, Mm -hmm. but there are polls about um, from conservatives on campus talking about how they feel attacked for their conservative views. Mm -hmm. Those do exist um, and they're out there and it's most college students feel like they can't express their political views on campus. Mm -hmm. That's a fact, that's well-documented. So it's, it's hard. And I always tell them, college students, when they come to me and ask, you know, should I, should I write about this? Should I be vocal on my campus? I tell them, where do you want to work after college? Because Mm -hmm. if you want to go into politics, you want to go in the conservative movement, be loud, do what I did, be, be scream. You're going to get a lot of hate, but do it, Mm -hmm. expose what's going on. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go work in medical or STEM or anything government, don't, don't do it. You know, be, be a quiet conservative, push back where you can, where it's safe. But if you're too loud, you're going to have problems getting into certain fields later because yeah. uh, the vetting process is like that and people don't want political people. Um, some of these organizations don't want extremely woke people in them either. They don't want people causing problems, but the majority is it, of it is, yeah, they don't want people with conservative past because it could be problematic. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a tricky situation. Yeah, I always stand like, for me, I can't, it, it's unco- I've always quit a job before I necessarily knew why, but I think there's just a certain, and it was never political, but I think that to say, like, if it goes against my fundamental beliefs, I just, I can't do it. If it's a completely woke, I'm like, and and I know I'm cutting myself off from a lot of job opportunities out of this, but I've already, I've already kind of burned that bridge. I think Um, I do try to try to um, have conversations with people, like particularly the summer and the job I was in, I was able to have a lot of conversations, um, just very level-headed and, and not back down, but also like not be argumentative, but also not back down, you know, um, or if you had a convincing argument, I'd, I'd want to listen. Cause if you could convince me to change my mind, like, or, you know, that's part of politics is that power of persuasion. If you have a convincing argument, great, but most people don't in the progressive movement, you know, they actually can't point to facts. Um, or if they do have some facts, it's like, there's always facts to refute it. So it's never, um, it's never, um, definitive. I don't know. It's, it's an interest, especially like your friend, it's an interesting place to be. I think I did see a post of hers on Instagram on gay pride day. She's the only two, she and her friend were like the only two conservatives in West Hollywood right now. Yeah. Um, I, I find that progressives who really fundamentally believe in their causes and know about their causes are interesting people to debate, right? Yeah. They, they have, they have a good case. They, they're very compassionate. Usually um, they really believe what they're saying. Like these are like the AOCs, 
my issue is the people who don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and are just spewing the talking points of other people. Mm-hmm. And it's dangerous because they, they can't defend it and they're doing harm. At least the progressives who know what they're talking about, you can debate them and have real conversations there if they are up for it. And not but wouldn't you say, you know, the, the same argument goes on the other side. Like I hear a lot of people say, um, you know, I'd be open. Like you just sound like a Fox News talking point. You know what I mean? I feel like that argument is used on both sides. No, but it's different because the conservatives on campus don't have a choice but to learn what they believe in because what they believe in is constantly being challenged in every Mm. aspect of every class they will ever take. I read the Communist Manifesto like four or five times on campus assigned, assigned to me. (laughs) Classes had nothing to do with the Communist Manifesto. Wow, wow. Yeah, I think it's different. Like you said, on college campuses, you really have to like get your backbone and get your facts behind you and get your solid grounding. Um, I was forced to know what I believed because it was yeah. constantly being challenged. Yeah. And my, my professors actually enjoyed having me in the, their classes. My issue is not with the Mount Holyoke professors. I mean, I've had a few run-ins with bad ones. Um, but some of the professors, you know, I'd be like party the night before I'm in class. I don't want to talk. Don't want to be called on. Definitely didn't do my homework. And the professors would purposely call on me to cause a debate in the class. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so what do you think about that, Cassie? And I'm like, think about what? I was not paying attention uh, because they, they want to have debate in their class and they weren't going to get that unless they had somebody like me in the class or they were playing devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. You're like um, what my friend calls, and she's called me this before, is a shit disturber, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone who comes in just to disrupt. So there's some debate, some um, something that's going to, to spark critical thinking. One of the most memorable times this happened was I was in my constitutional law class and the professor there, like this guy, each time the school would call me in and try to get me in trouble, he'd come and be my lawyer. Like he had Mm. my back. He was not a conservative. He actually just retired, Um, but he would come in and have my back uh, because the administration went after me for that video. They Mm. were like, they called me in and like had sat me down at a serious talk about how I invaded her privacy, which I didn't. And my lawyer explained to him that I didn't. So it was good that I had my lawyer, but I was in his class and we were talking about Obamacare. And I had said, I don't agree with a, with a national health insurance program like Mm -hmm. Obamacare. I don't like Obamacare. I worked for the governor's office. I had to fix a lot of people's cases when they switched over to the health connector. And I don't agree with it. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it's efficient. I think it's bloating. I think there should be other alternatives one of the students stood up and started to scream. She flipped out, started crying, saying that I was a white, rich woman with privilege who should better understand what I'm saying before I try to kill poor people, basically, is what she said. And I looked at her and I said, I've been on welfare my entire life. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're looking at me thinking I'm privileged, when in reality, you're Mount Holyoke with me. We come from very different backgrounds. You don't know my background and you're assuming what I believe just because of how I look, because of my complexion. Like, who are you to do that? And I was like, I grew up on welfare. I grew up on health insurance. If you ask me what I believe, I'll tell you what I believe and I'll tell you the alternatives. But to sit here and tell me that I want people to die because I don't agree with your policy recommendation is insane. And she came to me afterwards and she apologized and like never spoke to me again. But it was like crazy conversations that would go on on in the these uh, classes, and I didn't even want to give my opinion on Obamacare. My professor called on me because he was trying to cause right. a debate. Debate right. he got right. Um, so tell us, you have to ask you about that video. Oh, not that video. The piece you wrote about dating oh. a liberal. <laughs> I love um, that. Well, my favorite. I dated a Democrat, <laughs> and I never will again. Or I probably won't again, is how I said it. Let me think. Did I date any Democrats after that? I did. I dated a Democrat after that article. But to be fair, he was a Republican. And then he went to Harvard and became a Democrat while we were dating. So mm. I still haven't purposely dated a Democrat. Um, yeah. So <laughs> why this- is that so hard these days? I mean, I guess because it's just getting so, so divided. And it comes down to me, it starts coming down to principle. Like, the principles actually don't align like what you believe spiritually many times what you believe at the heart of things just doesn't align anymore and i think to me one of the good definitions i had of um 
So I, I heard someone give of conservatives. It's like principles first, right? Like you're principle based. You can always point to that. And then I was like, well, I could see progressives saying, well, people first, you know, care about yeah. people more than you care about your principles. And I understand that too, but I think it has to be circumstantial, right? It's very hard to, to, to have people first when you're talking about the entire United States of America, right? It's easier to talk in principles, but but when you're talking about local community, which is why I love our program too, and how the, how the emphasis is on community politics and how we serve each other as a community, it's much easier to focus on people because I know you, I see you in church, I see you at school. I'm more willing to have an open conversation. If you're willing to listen to me, I'm willing to listen to you. But to do that on a grand scale, is like really yeah. hard. Okay, so the reason why I wrote that piece though was, mm. okay. I believe you can date across party lines, but if you work in politics, like I do, I don't think you can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kellyanne Conway, like she's tried her. I mean, they're on the same side of the aisle and they're having problems, Kellyanne and her husband. Um, but that's over Trump. But I think it's very, very hard to do it. Um, me working in politics, I can't do it again. Like I just can't, especially mm-hmm. I'm a religious person. I need somebody who's very aligned with my religious beliefs and that it's going to happen to be a conservative person because of what my religious beliefs are. Right. So for me, it definitely is principle. I couldn't imagine having a baby in my stomach and being married to somebody who thinks that I could kill that baby. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I just wouldn't be able to get over that. Uh, I couldn't, that's just too fundamentally different for me. Yeah. Um, and so the, the story of the piece I wrote was I had studied abroad in Israel and I came back and I was, uh, I use his fake name. His fake name is Tom. So I'll make sure I don't say his real name, which is hard. Um, and I went on Fox news for this and they kept trying to get the real name out of me. Um, but basically I, uh, studied abroad and I came back and I did an internship in Congress and I sat down to get lunch my first week. And this guy came up to me and you know, the interns have like these little green badges and like the staffers have different color badges. I don't remember what the colors are now, but he had put his binder next to me. He said, can you watch this? And to me, I was like, who is this jerk? Like, just because I'm an intern doesn't mean my job's watch your stuff, mm. Like, but whatever. I was being nice. And so I, I was done with my food. I was ready to go. Um, but I watched his, his binder and he came over and he looked at me and he said, uh, Manishma, which means like, how are you in Hebrew? And it was because I had a necklace on with my name in Hebrew. And so I was like, oh my gosh, he's speaking Hebrew. Like, you know, after you're done studying abroad or you go on a long trip, you like really miss the place you were at. So I was like, wow, this is really nice. Like I really miss Israel. And I have this guy here who's speaking to me in Hebrew. So that's awesome. So I started talking to him about Israel and like, you know, I just studied abroad and we never even like asked which offices we worked in. And he had invited me to go to a gala, a pro-Israel gala. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is like, no. Um, but then I saw him again uh, on, the, on the Metro. And so then I agreed to go with him to this gala. Uh, it's for the Emmett Gala, which is like Middle East Truth or whatever. So it's the Emmett organization. And so I went with him and it was really great. And so on our first, I guess you call it a date. I didn't really see it as a date at the time. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just like going to an event. Um, he asked him which office he worked in. And he said, oh, I work in a New Jersey office. <laughs> And I actually said back to him, I said, wow, there's a Republican in New Jersey. (laughs) And he goes, no, there's not. I'm a Democrat. (laughs) And the look at my face, I was like, what? How are you this pro-Israel and you're a Democrat? That doesn't make any sense to me. And he worked for Josh Gottheimer, which is a very, very um, pro-Israel Democrat, probably like the only very pro-Israel Democrat in Congress. Like there's a few others, but Josh Gottheimer is really the the voice of it. Mm -hmm. And it was his first... um, his first term in Congress, which is why I didn't know who he was. Uh, and so Tom, I almost just said his name, Tom uh, explained to me that he was a Democrat. And I was like, oh boy, this is weird. Uh, and so he invited me on a few other dates and I went and, you know, me and him really hit it off. We spent most of the summer mm-hmm. together. I, I brought him around my friends. I do mention the piece. I was very careful with where I brought him because I'd go to a lot of Republican functions with high level people. And I felt like I couldn't bring him. I was like, mm-hmm. he's a spy, you know, he's a spy <laughs> on the event. Uh, they have this thing called wheels up in, in uh, DC, where after your member goes back to their district, all the staffers go to the Republican um, club and like, you get like the leftovers, the food of the week and you buy drinks and hang out in the basement. Like it's like a good thing. And I was like, I can't bring him. He's not a Republican. So like there's places I wouldn't take him. Uh, but we, we got along really well. 
we'd fight over politics. Like there were like times where like we had to like stop talking for sure. He's, he's not pro-life. Um, but on Israel, we bonded. We had very similar views mm-hmm. on Israel. I'm probably more hardline on the Israel thing than he is. Mm-hmm. And then um, we went on a road trip. My friends from Israel, they actually set them up in Israel. They're actually married now, uh, which is really cool. But they, I was their maid of honor. Um, we went on a road trip with that couple. Uh, one was an Israeli, an Israeli Jew. And the other one was a Christian girl, of Jewish lineage. Um, and he actually converted to Christianity. So they were like very in line with their beliefs. And so we went on this road trip and them two got along so great. Their values were aligned. They were happy. And me and Tom could not stop fighting. We were fighting the whole time about politics to where by the end of the road trip, I was like, when I get back to DC, I'm leaving. I'm going back to home to to campus and I am never talking to this guy again. I can't handle him. He's so annoying. Like I'm just done with this. I just remember like we got into a huge fight, like a big blowout over like something he thought that was offensive that was said and not even by me, by the Israeli guy. And Israelis have like very dry sense of humor and Mm -hmm. get really offended by something this guy said. And so I just kept thinking like, I'm just going to pretend everything's okay to like not embarrass us in front of our friends. The second we get back to DC, I'm out of here. And so I was, (laughs) I went back to campus. I broke things off. Um, And to this day, we're we're still friends. Um, He actually saw that piece before I put it up. I let him edit it. So, you know, I wasn't like trashing him. He was in on it. Um, and now he's working for, um, a very big pro-Israel, um, uh, nonprofit and I work for Jewish news. So, you know, he still sends me tips. We're still have like this working relationship, but now we're on the same team for sure. Uh, We're not working in American politics now. So, uh, Mm. but the moral of the story was on that trip, I saw how my two friends got along so well and how me and him didn't get along that I realized, uh, I want something like that and not like something I have. Yeah. So I made a rule to myself. I was like, I'm going to only date uh, Republicans because I'm more aligned with them. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it comes down to regardless of um, identifiers or tags or whatever label you want to put on someone. For me, when I became a Christian, it's like, especially with the relationship in regards to marriage and what marriage is, what a Christian marriage is. I don't see myself being with someone who's a non-Christian because okay. marriage is to me a sacrosanct like it's a covenant between two people and God and God has to be at the center for me. Um, I might be able to, to marry someone who's Jewish. I don't, you know, I haven't had that opportunity yet um, depending on their beliefs. And, but I, you know, I think it comes down to, I think it's even more important, not so much for me, but more important when you consider having children and how you're going to raise a child. Right. So that kind of out of my wheelhouse right now, but um, that's the most important part. Yeah. You if you're having have, children, you want them to have a certain set of values and it's important. And a lot of people looked at what I said and they're like, this is so offensive. Like you can't just get over it. No, I can't just get over it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm not caring about things that the, the normal Republican party cares about. Like, do I care what my partner thinks about Obamacare? No, I'm talking yeah. about the fundamental approaches to religion, approaches to family life, approaches values, how you want to live your life, government, where you want to live. Like those things really do matter to me. Yeah. And they're becoming more important as this country becomes like more divided because location now we're seeing is everything. I mean, the response to policy, whether you're in California or Montana are completely different, although becoming less so because a lot of Californians are flooding into these (laughs) suburban places and taking their politics with them. And they are indeed, you know, so we have that going on. So before we go, um, I want to ask you two questions. Who is your favorite politician right now? Nikki Haley. Yeah. Okay. And I can say this on a personal level and an ideological level. Like there are things that me me and Nikki, Nikki and I don't really get along on uh, when it comes to policy, right? There's things where I'm a little bit more right-wing than her, for sure. Uh, especially foreign policy things. But I mean, the, the difference is so slight. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, I really respect her. I worked for her mm. for more than a year and she's the best boss I've ever had. I have nothing but good things to say about Nikki. She, she and, and sorry to interrupt, but again, my listeners are, I, I'm yeah, kind yeah. Of shifting gears to tell of people course. who Nikki Haley is and what, yeah. 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 So right after college, mm-hmm. I actually went to the daily wire and I was a journalist for a year. And then I went to Pepperdine where, uh, where you go. And I, I got my degree there, but before I finished graduating, I became Nikki Haley's digital director for Stanford America. 
uh, turn on profit. Nikki Haley was the ambassador under Trump. She was the governor of South Carolina. She's okay. most famous for taking down the Confederate flag. She's a Republican. She's, uh, her parents are, are Indian American. Um, so she's first generation. So she's really great. I worked for her for more than a year doing her digital. Um, and she was the best boss I've ever had. And I actually helped plan her 50th birthday party in December. And she invited all of the staff that she's ever had. So in the governor's office in the UN, and a lot of them showed up. She had all of her past staffers there. She was, you know, so personable with all of them. The fact that some of these people flew in from California and Texas to go to her birthday party is like, it says a lot about her. Mm -hmm. Um, Nikki is, she's a great boss. You know, she, she calls herself the birthday queen. She always goes all out for people's birthday. My birthday was a week after I started and I had this huge bouquet of flowers given to me last year. I went to Miami for my birthday and she had her and her like secretary were calling around to figure out which club I was at. So they could send me a bottle of champagne for my birthday. Mm -hmm. So like Nikki was just the the best boss ever. I really, really enjoyed working for her. Um, but I really need to get back into journalism, which is why I left her. Um, but if she runs for president one day, which I don't know if she will, um, I definitely want to get involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and who would your dream ticket be for 2024? Oh, hmm. Okay. But I'm, I'm such a pessimist with this because I know it's going to happen. Trump's going to run for mm-hmm. sure. Like he's talking about it. So, okay. So let's minus Trump out of it. Let me, let me stop trying to be practical and I'll be, yeah. Idle. Don't think of, don't think of like <laughs> what's actually going to happen, but who would your dream ticket be if you could yeah. Uh, for all the reasons, like, because he'll bring the Republican party yeah. together because he's got the virtue, like all of it. Everyone wants DeSantis. I'm not going to say DeSantis because I think he needs more time as governor. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's doing a great job there and he should have more um, to show in his portfolio. He's young before he runs for, for president. So I'm not going to say DeSantis. Mm-hmm. I think it, a, a really solid ticket would be Nikki. Um, and then somebody like a Tim Scott, which would make sense because from the same state, but mm-hmm. someone who, who has a lot of um, congressional experience um, because Nikki doesn't have that. So somebody like that, or maybe, I mean, her and Ted Cruz, I don't think that would really jive either. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Marco Rubio, just somebody with Senate experience, Mike Lee, um, who could help her with the congressional aspect of things. Do you know, is she gunning for the presidential bid? nomination uh she will not she says this publicly that she will not run if trump runs she, she okay. has said this many times so it's up to the, the big guy what is your what is your personal opinion of trump my point <laughs> in what regard <laughs> all of it i mean uh, I, to me it's like i think you know i actually had this discussion with my therapist um <laughs> Because you have to talk about Trump to your therapist. It's hard. Like I, I it's it's amazing. This is the, the first one did this to me too. I wouldn't even tell my therapist. What it, it, I don't know how it went there. I did not open that Pandora <laughs> box. I did not. It, it's just like they anybody wants to find, like it's almost like they want to find the people who mm. don't, you know, and, and then and then like now you're like a case study. <laughs> yeah. So well, they are. I think that's what they they want to understand the psychological um, kind of profile of somebody. And I said to her, it's like, listen, I'm not looking to marry this guy. I'm not looking to date this guy. I just need someone to run our fucking country. (laughs) This is not, can we, can we, and a lot of people that's, I I find that that's what a lot of people can't do is compartmentalize politics from your personal life. It's like, yes, I want values and principles, but the fact that she's never seen him hug his, her, his children why should I care about that? I don't know what he does behind closed doors. I don't like, that's not, Yeah. she, she, she was very turned on by Obama's warm and fuzzy family life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't I'm like, matter. that doesn't matter to me. Like, listen, he's not, ab- I don't think he's abusing them every time I hear him, them speak upon him. It's not like they're coming out and going, he beat us. Yeah. So it's, it's like how someone chooses to live their public life. I, I don't judge that. I, you know? I'm one of the only people to insult Donald Trump and get away with it is like what I, what I like to say. I tweeted back in 2018, maybe it was 2019, maybe in 2019. Yeah, it was 2019. I tweeted, I'm not going to vote for Andrew Yang, but I would be his friend. And I said, I would not be Donald Trump's friend, but I'm going to vote for him. And Donald Trump responded to me on Twitter. I don't know how he found my tweet. I didn't even tag him in it, but he found it. And he responded to me and he said, I'm okay with that. (laughs) 
which is hysterical but it sums up how i feel about trump i don't think he's like somebody i want to hang out with i don't think he's like a like a good friend um but uh he got things done do i want him to go back in office no i don't i think his time is over um i think it's time to pass the baton i voted for him both times um but i think it's time for somebody else yeah yeah I, I think, yeah, it was the whole, the whole psychological thing was very interesting to me. I was completely caught off guard. Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. I didn't think I was going to have to defend my politics in, in yeah, a therapy session. So I don't know, but she's really good at everything else she does. So I'm going to stick with her for now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, I'm not looking to date them. I don't, exactly. like, I just need, I need somebody who knows, you know, Anyway, well, thank you so much for your time, Cassie. It was awesome to chat with you and uh, good luck with everything with your new career, your new endeavor, your new job. And I'll make sure um, to put any links you want me to down below. Definitely um, the the video that went viral of, of what her name, what was her name? Trigger, Trigger? Trigglypuff. Trigglypuff. I'm so out of it when it comes to yeah, it's, a, it's an odd name, but I prefer using that than her real name because she got a lot of harassment after it. So I try to mm. uh, avoid people actually knowing what her name is. Yeah. Well, best of luck. Yeah. Thank you. With everything. All right. Thanks, Cass. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that ruffled some of your feathers and maybe gave you some insight as to what is happening around college campuses right now. It was eye-opening and educational for me. I myself am back in school, the same program Cassie attended, and hope to keep the podcast up. But if you noticed an intermittent pause now and then between episodes, I hope you'll use that time to catch up on some of my past interviews with intelligent, fun, and insightful guests. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend, give it a like or a follow, leave a message. I would so appreciate it. Until next time, stay connected.